Jake always has an intro slide that I never see until Sunday morning. So, and I'm always fascinated where he gets all this stuff. He probably creates it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I do create. Um, I know we're going through 1 Samuel, but we're having communion. So I thought, let's, let's focus on Jesus. And I wanted to focus on the thought that Jesus suffered hell on the cross. I often mention that, that when he took all of our sins upon himself, he suffered hell in our place. And um, I, I want you to see that here this morning. So let me ask you a question. Who talks more about hell? Believers or people who don't believe in the Lord? What do you think? Those that don't. Yes. Most Christians and in most churches, they don't mention hell at all anymore because they're afraid to offend the world, to offend lost people, whatever. So it's, it's rarely ever preached on in the evangelical church, and most Christians don't ever bring it up. But the world, on the other hand, do you know that the average American swears 80 times a day? 80 times a day. It's, it's actually 60 to 80 times, and there's multiple studies that show that. Now, I'm thinking most of you probably only swear 10 times a day. We're on the lower side. Hopefully, you're at zero, right? Amen. One amen. <laughs> I was thinking all of you were zero, so if the average is 80, that means the people that don't know the Lord are swearing 160 times. So anyway, this study was done. Christians rarely ever talk about hell, but the people that are in the world in, in the United States are saying hell every single day multiple times. They're working on something. They go, oh, hell. Or, I, or believe it or not, they're witnessing to other people. I hope you go to hell. That people are doing that all the time. I, you know, someone cuts them off, go to hell. You know, some worker, go to hell. You know, and I'm like, and, but the Christians won't say it. Why don't we say, I pray you don't go to hell. Don't go to hell. I want to tell you about Jesus so you don't go to hell. They're all talking about it. Go to hell, go to hell. And literally the world, the way all these wars are, it's like the hatred and it's like, go to hell. Everyone wants to send everyone to hell. But the Christians, we don't say anything. It's, this is just some... You can take a tour to volcanoes and sit on the edge of a volcano. Oh, yeah, it's switched here, huh? I'm like, that is crazy. But yet, so one more thing. Who do you think talks about hell the most? Do you think it was Moses or the Apostle Paul? Who talks more about hell than all the other references put together in the Bible? It is actually Jesus, which shocks most people because you picture Jesus is this loving, caring Messiah, but Jesus actually seems to be more concerned that people know about hell and, and he has the most descriptions about hell and he is constantly, he talks about heaven and it's, it's about equal and a lot of the gospels is the benefit of going to heaven and Jesus saying, you really don't want to go to hell. It really is bad, and I wouldn't be telling you this if I wasn't the son of God. Now, one more thing. I'll pick on Ryan. Ryan, there's jails in the United States. Do you think they built those jails because of you? Definitely. <laughs> he starts out with, he says definitely not, but he starts out with definitely like... <laughs> 
So they, they did not build the jails because of you. But if you do bad, you're going to one of those, okay? Jesus clearly says, look, God the Father did not create hell for us. He created for the devil and his angels. However, if you choose to join Satan and go, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want to follow his commandments. I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I don't care about heaven. Well, then, unfortunately, you get to join Satan and the angels who also have made a decision. I don't want to be in heaven. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to submit to him. And God will honor your free will and you will be separated from the Lord. All right. So here's Jesus. He's teaching on hell. I want to read this very fast so that you can understand what Jesus did on the cross, how he suffered hell in our place. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. He's not in hell because he was rich. He's just describing this individual who did not give his heart to the Lord. This rich man's dressed in purple. He's not in hell because he dressed in purple, okay? Um, he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Angels come often for the spirit of loved ones or it's the Lord. In hate, uh, the rich man also died and was buried. So people that die without the Lord often say they see demons or evil angels carrying them to hell. In Hades, in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Matthew chapter 27 in your Bibles. Matthew 27. Let's look at the cross. Matthew 27. I'm going to start in verse 32. And again, I've been trying to train all of you how to do speed reading. Okay? Verse 32, as they were going out, they met a man from Serene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it because it's like this awful tasting mixture. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. 
In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken thee? So let's go over how what Jesus suffered on the cross pictures hell, shows that he suffered hell for our sins. Number one, Jesus suffered the agony of separation when he cried out, when for the first time, God infinitely in the past always had fellowship, but for the first time, God the Father turned his back on Jesus, his son. We've all experienced a breakup, I'm sure, where someone leaves you and the pain and the agony of a relationship, you know, and a loved one leaves. In Matthew 24, it talks about the separation of the coming of the Lord. Jesus sends his angels. There's two guys in the field working. One goes to be with Jesus, one's left behind. You can have a husband and wife. One goes to be with Jesus and the other's left behind. Kids go to, to be with Jesus and parents are left behind. They're just the agony of separation. And we also see it with the rich man. Ultimately, the hell, hell is separation from God. I don't want to live with God. I don't want to be in heaven. I'm not interested in being in his house on earth. And God so respects our free will that you don't want to be with me, I am not making you be with me. So hell is his ultimate separation. I think you're separated from each other in hell, and you are separated from God. Number two, Jesus suffered the agony of shame. Now, they were dividing up his clothes, and believe me, scholars, they don't know if the men are completely naked on the cross or if they leave them in their underwear. But the purpose of the cross was just to, to make that person so shameful for what they did and so public and people mocking. The other two thieves are making fun of him. It's just you're naked. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid and tried to cover over their shame. So Jesus takes on our sin and just the shame of being on the cross. The rich man, he's in hell, and Abraham says to him, remember that during your lifetime. So I think the scripture is pretty clear. When you die and go to heaven or hell, all your memory comes back to you perfectly. You will remember every single thing. In fact, they think it's locked in your head anyway. Doctors will open up the skulls of people and they touch different parts of your brain and the people go, oh yeah, I remember when I was three years old. I'm at my dad's house, I'm, you know, at my parents' house and I see the birthday cake and, and I see this color like every memory is like locked in our brains. So when you get to hell, every, every single time you lie to a person, you remember. Every single time you use the Lord's name in vain, you remember. Every time you were selfish or did something wrong, you remember. And this ultimate shame comes on you when you remember, you know, how many people witnessed to you or how you just live for yourself. In Ezekiel, it talks about the shame of hell. Then you will remember your ways, whoops, and be ashamed. 
Ezekiel 20, 43. In hell, you will remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you will loathe, some versions have hate, you will hate yourselves in your own sight because of all your evil deeds which you have done. Can you imagine remembering every <laughs> sinful thing you've done and you can't get it out of your mind? You can't, I think in heaven, God wipes away our tears. So I think we can remember everything. I think we'll always appreciate the cross, but I don't think it hounds us at all like it will those in hell. Because in heaven, we have the antidote of the blood of Jesus Christ that, you know, ministers forgiveness to our brains. Third, Jesus suffered the agony of thirst. So when people are dying, they often get very thirsty. In fact, so Jesus is crying out, I am thirsty. They give him some horrible concoction, just as the torment, which he then refuses to drink. I was reading up until like 20 years ago or something, when people are in hospice, and when you're dying, you get thirsty, and you cry out thirst. Hospice used to not give you water, but they decided, because if you give water with people in hospice, it extends their life. But somewhere, they decided it was just too inhumane to do that. And so they made a change when people say, I'm thirsty and they want water, you give them water. Yes, it may extend their life another 24 hours, but it's, it's humane. They want it. It's, so Jesus is suffering the pain of hell, of thirst. The rich man is in hell. He's in this fire. Now, the fire isn't consuming him that he can't even speak. So I view hell as like you're living in a desert where it's 170 degrees all the time. It's just hot and horrible. Not refreshing like heaven where there's springs of living water and, and life. And Jesus is suffering thirst and the fire of God's wrath Lamentations is a prophecy that we believe Jesus was praying on the cross. And here's Lamentations chapter 1, 12 to 13. So this is Jesus speaking on the cross. And he goes, look around, you who pass by and go about your business. Is there any sorrow as great as mine as I'm on the cross suffering for everyone's sins. Is there any pain as great as that which has been forced on me? No, because my pain comes from the capital eternal. Jesus says, my pain is coming from the Father. When I, he who knew no sin became sin for us. It is his judgment rendered on the day of his intense anger. My bones burn with the wrath of God, the fire sent from on high. He laid a trap then left me. He forsook Jesus as Jesus became sin, turned me back to the destruction with the shakes 
constantly sick and faint. It's a very good description of someone on a cross when they get sick and they're shaking and they're faint and they cry out for water as the wrath of God comes upon Jesus. Jesus suffered the agony of darkness. So we know that Jesus is now, he's paying for our sins and suddenly the whole world goes dark because God is the light of the world. There are many verses that hell is darkness. Here are three of them. Jude is the book before Revelation. And this, is, this first verse is about the, the fallen angels. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Jude 13 is talking about people. Not angels, but people. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Have any of you ever gone to um, Laurel Caverns? If you, if you go to, my wife and I would go spelunking, and we would do the part where you're on your own with flashlights. And it would take us about three, four hours. It's a lot of fun. But we would turn off the flashlights, and I'm telling you what, it is dark as dark can be. It is like, wow. Matthew 22, 13, Jesus. Then the king told the attendants, this is someone who, in a sense, tries to get into heaven, but they haven't given their heart to Jesus Christ, so they're not clothed in the wedding outfits, the righteousness of Christ. Jesus says, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus suffered the agony of separation, the agony of shame, the agony of thirst, the agony of darkness, and then the agony of being tied down on the cross. I hate, that's why when I did wrestling in high school, I hated it as a freshman. I couldn't wait to get out of it because I was the one that always got pinned. And I, I can't just... When I see people get arrested and they get handcuffed, I'm like, I do not like that. Like, ooh, don't, don't tie me down. Don't put me, you know. I, so, and this agony of being tied down by chains, again, there's lots of verses. I don't, I made a mistake. So there's a verse in 1 Peter, so you have to skip the middle verse. But look at verse 6 again. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, hell is absolute darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Everlasting chains. And Matthew 21, 13, the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot. I just like, oh, just the thought of permanently being chained, like, oh. And Jesus suffered that when he was nailed to the cross. And then number six, and now we see Jesus suffering the agony of concern. So he's on the cross, he's dying, and he's concerned about his mother, who's going to take care of his mother, but interestingly enough, even though he is suffering the fire of God's wrath for sins, he's concerned about the two thieves that are making fun of him and they're rebels and they're mocking him. But suddenly he's trying to lead them to the Lord. And this one thief gets saved. He's on the cross. You would think he'd be completely focused on himself, but even on the cross, He's focused on leading someone to the Lord. 
There are Christians that are dying in the hospital, and I will go visit them. They have tremendous pain. They are hurting and all, and yet they're trying to witness to the doctor. They're trying to witness to the nurse. They're trying to witness to their family members who don't know the Lord. And I'm just like so amazed that in the midst of their death and their dying and their pain, they still are concerned about people that are around them to come to the Lord. The rich man also, so he realizes you're in hell. But now he's like, okay, I do have a request. And some say that the greatest prayer meeting, the greatest crying out to God are the people that are in hell saying, can you please send someone to my loved ones to warn them not to come here? And that's what Jesus is constantly doing. He's the son of God, and he's like, look, hell is real. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you need to, heaven's a wonderful place, but you need to avoid hell. I'm not, um, and so he's concerned about his five brothers. Now, often people will come to me and say, Pastor, they're not Christians. They'll go, I have a hard time, Pastor, becoming a Christian because my parents that have died, I'm not sure they're in heaven. They might be in hell. And just that thought, I don't know if I can give my heart to the Lord thinking about my parents being there. So, first of all, we don't really know what happens in an individual's life at the end of their life, just like that thief on the cross. He is bad till the final moments of his life and is going to heaven. So we really don't know the final moments. But even if your parents are in hell, I guarantee you they are praying to God that you do not join them. They do not want you there. It would be like, let's say I had a dad, and let's say I have a sister. And my dad trains me and my sister how to steal money. But then my dad gets caught, and he gets put in jail for the rest of his life. And he's chained in a cell. Do you think my dad would be happy to see me and my sister join him in that cell? What do you think? Or do you think my dad would go, whoa, this is so horrible and so bad. I so regret training, t teaching my own children what to do. I don't want them here with me. It'll make my hell worse if my own daughter is in the cell next to me, suffering and hurting. It'll make the agony all the greater. Please, kids. Don't repent, don't steal, don't join me where I'm at. That's what they're crying out. They don't want to know people are coming there because they didn't share Jesus, they didn't believe. They're praying, excuse me, more than Christians, they're praying that someone will witness to their family and friends. So I got close. C.S. Lewis Sinners are successful rebels to the end. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. If you think lightly of hell, then you will think lightly of the cross.
So if you're like, oh, I, I don't believe in hell, I just don't, well then, then you, I don't know what you think about the cross. You might be like, well, he just kind of died to set like a good example of sacrifice. And I'm like, wow. You do not understand the sufferings that Jesus Christ went through on that cross when God turned his back on him. That, you know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed to the Father. He said, Father, I'm going to have to drink the wrath, your wrath, for sins. Is there some other way that this cup will pass from me? That can, can people believe in some different God and get to heaven? Can people pay their way into heaven? Can people do enough good deeds to get to heaven? Is there some other way than me suffering hell and drinking the wrath of God? And God's like, there is no other way. So to make light of the sufferings of hell is to make light of the sufferings of Jesus. So, everyone, we have a door. There's a door to our heart. And the lock and the door handle, you've seen pictures, is on the inside. God gives us a free will. He will not force himself upon us. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I would love for you to, you open the door because I've given you a free will. Only you can open the door and invite me in. So if you op Jesus says, you open the door, I'll come in. We'll have fellowship together. Those in hell have made the decision, I'm not unlocking my door. I do not want you. And God isn't going to change you. He's, he's giving you a free will. He's not going to make you any different than what you're making the decision. Your decision is, I want no God. I don't want to follow his commands. You die in, in rebellion permanently. Even if you could open the door, you won't open it. But this morning, maybe there's someone here and you're ready to open the door of your heart and ask Jesus into your life. He suffered hell for your sins were put on him. But he's paid. He will offer you the gift of salvation, but you have to open the door. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and Christians praying. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, he wants to walk with you. He would love to have you live with him in heaven. But you have to open the door to your life, to him. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and I invite you to pray along with me silently. And you can give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning. He, he couldn't show his love any more for you than what he did in paying for your sins that you deserve to pay for. He paid for them on your behalf. But you got to receive that salvation. You have to give your heart to the Lord. I'll pray out loud. You pray silently. Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner and broken, ashamed, but I open the door of my heart in repentance and ask you, Jesus, to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I always like to pray a prayer blessing on those who 
who asked Jesus into their heart. If you prayed that prayer along with me, I'd like you to slip your hand up, and then after I see you, put it down, and then I want to pray a prayer blessing over you. If you pray that, just when I see you, slip up your hand, and then, okay, God bless you. I see you. Thank you for helping me. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay, Father, and, and if I can have the elders. Father, um, I pray, Lord, for this, this one that has boldly raised their hand. I pray that they would sense Jesus in their heart and life like never before. From this day forward, Spirit of God, may you confirm to his spirit that he belongs to you. May you protect him as Satan will try to help him question what he did here this morning. May he confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of his life. In your name we pray, amen.